Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. I uh, went to the dentist a number of years ago. And the dentist, as he was working on, on my teeth, I think they were having to extract some wisdom teeth. He said, Mr. Clayton, you're going to feel some pressure. And then he started working and I thought, bro, you used the word, wrong word there. I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling pressure. I'm feeling a lot of pain right now going on. And, and yet when I, when I actually looked up the word pressure, the word pressure means being, being subjected to the condition of mental, physical, Emotional, we could add spiritual, economic, social distress. Being subjected to distress. My dentist chair experience was physical distress that, that I was dealing with. And I began to think about being under pressure. And as we, as we deal with this, what they call the Passion Week, about the pressure that Jesus dealt with, and the fact that he understands ours. All of us as, as people deal with pressure in life. I'm going to say, I just want to get to a place where I have no more pressure. That would be dead. <laughs> and I deal with that. Life has pressure. You know, there's pressure from people. Call it peer pressure. You know, peer pressure does not disappear when you graduate from high school. It's still there. And people are subject to it and, and they feel it. It's peer pressure. There's pressure that comes from problems. Problems can subject you to, uh, you just feel pressured or distressed at problems. And sometimes people and problems kind of run hand in hand. But there's dealing with pressure and how you deal with that pressure. There's a lady, she was a mature lady, who was pulled over by a police officer. And he said, ma'am, may I see your uh, driver's license? She said, I'd give it to you, but I don't have it. She said, I lost it four years ago due to drunk driving. <laughs> he said, okay, so may I see the registration for the vehicle? She said, well, it's not my vehicle, I stole it. <laughs> and she said, I killed the owners and I stuffed them in the trunk. <laughs> At this time, he's backing up, his hand on his weapon and he's calling for backup. In just a few moments, there's five police cars surrounding this car there's blue lights flashing everywhere. It's a high pressure environment. And the senior officer slowly approaches the window. He's got his hand on his weapon. He said, ma'am, will you exit the vehicle, please? And she said, certainly, and she gets out. She's just looking very calm. He said, uh, ma'am, my officer told me that you stole this vehicle and that you murdered the owners and, and put them in the trunk. Would you open the trunk, please? She said, oh, no problem. She opened the trunk, it's clean. Officer looks puzzled. He said, ma'am, do, do you have the registration for this vehicle? My officer said, you stole it. She said, oh yeah. She said, it's right here. Handed him the registration. Now he's really puzzled. He said, uh, ma'am, do you have a driver's license? She said, yeah. And she reached in her handbag. Of course, a lot of guns came out when she did, but she reached into her, her handbag and she pulled out a license and handed it to the, the officer. And he looked, he said, ma'am, I, I am so sorry. He said, but uh, my officer told me that you didn't have a driver's license, you lost it to drunk driving, that you stole this vehicle, and that you killed the owners, and that you put them in the trunk. And she said, well, that's horrible. And then she leaned over, she said, 
I bet that old liar told you I was speeding too. <laughs> How you handle pressure is one thing. People, problems, and one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm sensing we're dealing with now is the uncertainty, the unpredictability of the future. What's coming for us in the future? And that, that, that puts pressure on people. Well, there's something that's, that's not, how many of you know that housing prices have gone crazy? So now you've got people going, do I sell, do I sell, do I sell? I can make a fortune. Right, but then you've got to go buy something. I'm talking to a guy yesterday, standing in the line at the post office, had plenty of time to talk. And uh, he, uh, he was telling me he, that he had sold, a, he bought a house and flipped it and, and doubled his money. He bought a house in 2012. He was going to sell his house again and uh, he was going to double his money again. And uh, I was about to say, he said, and then he said, my wife and I, we bought a new travel trailer and we're going to move it on. There's two acres of land we haven't built our own house. I thought, well, that solves some of the buying another house problem. But then I thought about that, living on a, in a travel trailer for a couple of years and um, thought I'd run that idea by joy. I don't think that's going to work real, real well. <laughs> Me and Joy and Boudreaux and Joy's bird. Now, some people say, what kind of bird does she have? Is it like a parrot or a cockatoo? No. It's a dove, a worthless dove that will not die. <laughs> We've had this dove for 22 years. It doesn't do anything but stare at you and make noises in the middle of the night. That's it. But Joy and I and, the, and Boudreaux the dog and the dove Leviticus in a travel trailer, that's pressure right there. But as we're looking at the future, as we're looking at pressure, as we're looking at the pressure that we deal with in life. I think it's important to understand that, especially during this Easter season, when we talk a lot about Jesus, that Jesus deals with and understands pressure. He understands the pressure that we're going through. A lot of times people make Jesus out that he's like way apart from all of it. No, he understands it. Look at this verse here. This is a New Living Translation. Therefore, it was necessary for him, Jesus, to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we're being tested. Did you catch that? Jesus has gone through some of the very same things we have. He's dealt with some of the very same pain. He's dealt with some of the very same pressure. In fact, he, he faced pressure on multiple fronts. I'll show you that in a moment. He faced pressure. He never caved into it. And he's merciful towards us when we deal with pressure. Boy, it's so good. He's not just so aloof that he doesn't understand when you are going through pressure and I'm going through pressure, he understands that. And having someone that understands makes all the difference in the world. John Osteen is... Uh, the father of Joel Osteen. John Osteen was my pastor for a number of years. And he would tell the story of when he went to Bible school. He said he was at, I believe it was John Brown University Christian School. He said when he was there, he said one year a freshman showed up. He said, and this guy was dressed in the most beautiful suit. He looked really sharp. And the buzz hit campus because no one dressed as good as this guy. 
And everyone would begin to talk about this guy and how good he looked. And have you seen this guy? Have you seen this guy? He looks awesome. But then they noticed the next day he wore the same thing. And the next day he wore the same thing. And the next day he wore the same thing. And if they finally realized he only had one set of clothes. And he went from being the amazing thing to the laughing stock of that university. Oh, they would pick on him and laugh at him and kid him. Well, what this, this Christian university would do is they would send out their fledgling preachers to preach in the rural churches around that, around that community. And so a bus would take them and drop them off at these churches and they would preach. But John Osteen said he was on the bus and he looked up. He said the last two on the bus to be dropped off was him and the guy with the great suit. So John Osteen, who was a fiery little guy, he, he kind of punched the guy up the head. He said, hey, he said, nice suit. He said, the guy looked up, looked at him and said, he said, you know, John, and it caught John Osteen by surprise. He said, the guy knows my name. He said, you know, John, he said, I always wanted to be a preacher. He said, it was my lifelong dream. And I, I barely had enough money to, to afford school and I didn't have any money left over, so I only was able to buy one suit of clothes. He said, I know I'm the laughing stock of the school. He said, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. He said, after I preached at this little church, he said, I'm not coming back. I'm leaving school. And the bus doors opened, and John Osteen watched him get off the bus. John Osteen, every time he would tell this story, he would cry. He said, because for the first time, he wasn't making fun of this guy. For the first time, he understood. It's so good to have a Savior who understands what we go through. Not someone who's so far apart that he can't understand human experience and human suffering. He understands. And in Passion Week, which is the week coming up, it starts with the triumphal entry today. and runs through Easter Sunday. They call it Passion Week. Jesus dealt with three different kinds of pressure. So I want to read just a little vignettes of you and show you those pressures, but then show you how he helps us deal with those as well. And the first one here is the unexpected or un, unrealistic expectations of people. Then they brought the colt to Jesus. This is, this is the processional here. Threw their garments over it and he sat on it. And many in the crowd spread their garments on the road. Ahead of him another spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. And Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David, praise God, in the highest heaven. You say, well, Alan, what kind of pressure is that? Unrealistic pressure. It was unrealistic because these people did not understand that Jesus had come to take away the sins of the world. They thought that Jesus had come to restore Israel to a place of power. That Jesus would be responsible for kicking out Rome and the occupying army of Rome and once again Israel would be a, a strong powerful nation and they were expecting him to solve their problems and feed them and heal them and he was going to be their miracle worker he was going to be their answer for everything and their expectations were here and they didn't understand what he was called to do and so these are the very people that some of them were the ones just a few days later when Jesus is standing before them arrested by the Roman government and beaten severely they're the ones who begin to cry out crucify because one thing about expectations sometimes when we don't meet people's expectations they can turn and they turned on Jesus unrealistic expectations the pressure of betrayal and abandonment Jesus is sitting with his disciples he begins to talk to them 
As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. And on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scripture says, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is, is sitting there with, with people that he has poured his life into. He's loved on for, for three years, three and a half years. And one of them, Judas, is going to betray him for money, 30 pieces of silver. In other words, he's going to turn on Jesus and hand him over to the authorities. Even though Jesus had been so good to him, he's going to betray him. And then we know that Peter denied him three times, denied even knowing him. And then we don't talk enough about this, but all the other disciples abandoned him. They deserted him. And so in his greatest time, his hour of need, Jesus is there and he's got, he's got this, this pain of betrayal. They say, well, Jesus was above. Listen, guys, Jesus was not stoic and he was not a robot. He was a real person who felt things like we felt. And if you've ever been betrayed or abandoned, you know that can be a very, very serious pain. He felt that. He didn't cave into it, but he felt it. He never chastised the disciples for it. He only asked Peter later on if he loved him three times, but that's it. Betrayal, abandonment. And I think the greatest pressure, it just keeps going up. The greatest pressure was the pressure that Jesus would face because he knew what was coming in the future. And he knew how awful the cross would be. It's right here in the Garden of Gethsemane. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and became deeply troubled and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went on a little farther and fell on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus had choices. As an individual, he had choices. And it was gonna, he knew what was coming. He knew the pain of the cross. But not just the physical pain of the cross, it was the fact that for the very first time, he'd be separated from God. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was not a rhetorical question, that was a reality. And he understood the pain of what he was going to have to deal with. They would scourge him. They would crucify him. He would be separated and he would take the sins of the world. We have no idea what that meant, but he did. And even in the middle of that, the Bible said he fell on the ground. He, he fell on the ground and began to pray, God, Abba, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any way, Lord, that you could, that you could let this pass from me. But then he said, but here's the caveat. Lord, it's not what I want. It's what you want. Oh, I'm so glad we got a savior who understands pressure, but we also have a savior who never gave into the pressure. And even though everything within him recalled at the idea of being crucified, he still cried out, God, not what I want. It's what you want. And his willingness to go to the cross gives us a relationship with God today. The fact that he took judgment that we didn't have to take. He took a separation and we don't have to be separated. What he did for us was amazing. But he also understands what we do. He understands now pressure, unrealistic expectations, betrayal and abandonment, and the pressure of having something hard coming your way. Really difficult. Where does that leave us? Well, thank God it leaves us not alone. That when we face pressure, we don't have to do it by ourselves. 
That when, one of the beautiful things about a relationship with the Lord is it is a relationship with the Lord. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a, a church thing. It's a relationship thing. And it's a relationship thing means we can handle the pressure, but we don't have to do it by ourselves. Pressure of what, Alan? Well, the pressure of unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Listen, when your expectations are here and the reality is here, in the middle is where the hurt zone is. So now here's one of the things I, I would encourage you. Unrealistic, unrealistic, boy, that's a hard one to keep saying. Uh, bad expectations can start with us and they don't need to start with us. Unrealistic expectations that oftentimes people place on other people. You're going to make me happy. Guys, let me help you with that one. No one can make you happy. Now, I know people can add to making you miserable, but no one can make you happy. <laughs> and, and oftentimes we get to the place where we just keep thinking, Some, this is going to make me happy. If I get a new job, I'm going to be happier. If I get a new house, I'm going to be happier until you have to buy it. Um, if I get, <laughs> if I, if I get if I get this, if we go on this vacation, if we do this. And so oftentimes we're waiting for something else. If I can just get, if I can just get my kids straightened out, I'm going to be happy. I, I, listen, my daughter, when she, was, when she was dating and she wanted to be married and we were on Christian, um, we were on Christian uh, websites, like Christian, I think there's one called Christian Mingle. I think it's still out there. We had... We had a great time with that one. We really did. We, we helped her comb through people. We're like, no, yes, no. Then helped her form answers. But I remember her saying, you know, I just, I just want to be married. I just want to be married. And I finally looked at her and I said, honey, I'm going to give you the honest truth. If you ain't happy now, you're not going to be happy when you get married. Now, if you've been married more than three weeks, you ought to know that that's the truth out here. <laughs> And so single people are like, really? Yes, really. If you're not happy now, you're not. So unrealistic, unrealistic expectations, don't have them. We say, well, Alan, what about when put, people put unrealistic expectations on me? They're expecting me to make them happy, expecting me to be the answer. You can't control what other people do. <laughs> Listen, if anybody understands that, it's a pastor. People expect me to be sort of perfect. And so when I blow past them on the freeway, they're like, was that my pastor? Yeah, that was your pastor. I, I, I am so not perfect. When you see me, you know, at Market Street, and it's like, is that, is that my pastor looking so scruffy with them shorts and that hat? Yeah, he looks really bad. Some of y'all just walk past me like, I don't know him. I don't know him. But I've had people write me letters about how disappointed they were that I let them down and I was their pastor. Say, what can you do with expectations? Because sometimes people put unrealistic expectations on you. You try to live the best you can, but sometimes you just have to give it to God because he's the only one that's fair. It says this here. He did not retaliate, talking about Jesus when he was insulted, nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. Aren't you glad that we have someone who judges fairly? Sometimes people look at you and go, but you did this and you did this and you, sometimes you'd have to say, you just don't retaliate. And you say, Lord, I give this to you. You're the one who judges fairly. You're the one I trust. What about the pressure of betrayal and abandonment? Now this is home. People who've been betrayed, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a relationship. 
Maybe it's a good friend. Maybe it's someone that you thought was with you. Someone that you trusted. And they did something wrong. And it hurt you. And you're thinking, man, I don't, this, is, this is distress. And I don't even know how to deal with it. I, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to deal with this. Well, one, it's good to know that he understands. But it's also good to know that he can actually do something about it. In 2 Corinthians, Paul was writing to the church. He said, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Do you realize that even though you might be dealing with heartache and of betrayal and abandonment, and you're thinking, I will never get over this, I want to tell you something, God can bring comfort to you. You say, well, how in the world is he going to do it? He's got a lot of different ways he can do it. Years ago when Joy and I were at Lakewood Church, we were the pastors of their singles group. And we had all the, what they call the older singles. I mean, we, and, and when we started this group, people were mad at us because they changed the group and they blamed us. And so they were staying away in large numbers. And we looked up one day and in our group were these two guys who looked like Elvis impersonators and their mother, who must have been 140. And uh, so Joy and I are looking at each other going, great, this is our singles group. 140-year-old women and two Elvis impersonators. And we had a lady in there by the name of Ma Brown. Ma Brown knew Moses personally as a child. And she was, <laughs> she was in, our, she was in our, our singles group. What she was doing there, I don't know. But she was in our singles group. And I remember one day I came into the church, I was feeling so low and so down and so like such a failure. And I remember Ma Brown came up, she was about like four feet, nothing. She looked at me, she said, I want to tell you something. She said, you're doing a good job and people are getting helped. Turned around and walked off. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for Ma Brown, who probably helped say, what, that God can send someone with a word. God can send someone with a text. God can send someone with something that can comfort you. And that's not, sometimes... He can comfort you. You can just have a sense of peace that you can't even understand. All of a sudden, you're dealing with something and you just have a sense of peace wash over you and you, and you realize it's going to be okay. I have no idea how, but it's going to be okay because God is comforted. And then often, oftentimes we've noticed over the years that he could send us a scripture that could just pierce the darkness. A number of years ago, my daughter went through a, a really for us was a betrayal, someone that we had trusted and a relationship where he treated her completely wrong. I won't go into all the details, but it left her devastated. And at night, sometimes we could, our bedroom was, was right under hers. And at night, we could hear her sobbing. And I only have one daughter. And to hear her sobbing at night, it, it actually, those sounds haunted Joy to the point where she asked God to help just erase that from her memory because she has such a hard time with it. We're listening to our daughter sob. And my daughter was having a hard time, and so was my wife. And Joy is strong. She is incredibly strong. But as a mother with an only daughter, she is hurting. And, and she's looking at me. And I, I, there were times we looked, and I, and I asked her one time, I said, honey, are you going to make it? And she shook her head at me. She said, I don't know. But one, one morning I was reading my Bible, and I read in Psalms, 146 verse 8 and I saw this particular song and so that night we're getting ready to go to bed and I said honey I said I saw this song today and I thought about Christina that's our daughter I thought about Christina 
In Psalms 146, verse 8, it says, God raises up those who are bowed down. I said, I really believe that pertains to Christina. Now, it was a psalm, and I liked it, and I, I related to it. But for joy, it pierced the darkness in her. And for the first time, she said, for the first time, God brought comfort to her, and she knew that Christine was going to be okay. I'm going to tell you something, guys. God can comfort us. He doesn't kick us away when we're going through difficult times. And what happened to Christina? Did God raise her up? He did. She wound up marrying a fine guy. They've got two beautiful children. And she now helps in her church, helps with the special needs adults. And they also get her to help with children and parents whose children are in the NICU, the, the neonatal ICU units, because she, she's had kids there. And so she now is on the phone. She, she calls people all over the nation and helps these mothers walk through what it's like to be in NICU and gives them hope and gives them help. And they love her doing this. Here's one of the beautiful things about God's comfort. God's comfort, it should not just stop with us. God's comfort is intended for us to become a comfort to someone else. And so my daughter who was so down now has the ability to help other people and to comfort other people. Let me tell you something. If your marriage was on the rocks and God helped you and comforted you, you can be a blessing to somebody else. If your life was on the rocks and God helped you and comforted you, then you can be a blessing to somebody else. If you've ever gone through a difficult time where you've been betrayed or abandoned and you think you can never get out of it and God gets you out of it, you can be a help and be a hope to somebody else because comfort doesn't stop with us. Comfort is intended to keep rolling on. Joy and I have always been able to comfort people who've had marital problems because we had extremely difficult marriage in the beginning years. And two weeks will be 40 years, and we made it because God helped us and he comforted us. Yeah. I get zero credit for that, guys. But God can comfort, and he understands. The last one is this, as we face the future. There's wars going on. We've got stuff happening. So Alan, what's going to happen? I, I can tend to be optimistic, but I know there's some, some challenging days ahead. You look around what's going on in our country, there's going to be challenging days ahead. But here's the beautiful thing about it. Whatever is coming ahead, I'm not facing it by myself. And neither are you. Here's a beautiful verse that, that Paul, actually the writer of Hebrews, wrote to the, to the Hebrew Christians First, tell them don't mull of money. Be satisfied with what you have. But th this is what I want you to see. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Amen. The fact that God doesn't just understand, but he's there to help. In the middle of it can give us confidence. So as we look, as we look at the future, we can look at the future and smile and go, it's going to be all right. I've got a God who sent his son who loved me enough to help me deal with the pressures of life. Unrealistic expectations, betrayal, abandonment, and an uncertain future. I know who and whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. There was an archbishop who was telling the story of another archbishop that he knew. This particular archbishop was a, uh, a man who had a, some teenagers in his church. And these three teenage boys, they were hardened, they were tough. And they came to uh, the archbishop, and they, had made, they were doing confessional. 
Now, for those of you who have a Catholic background, you understand confessional. That's where you would go and sit and talk to a priest, Father, I've, you know, bless me, I've sinned and, and confessed. Joy just spent so much time there. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I was raised Baptist. It's a good thing I didn't have to go because I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have grown old. But um, in, this, in this, this situation, this archbishop is telling about this other archbishop. He said these three boys made up this long list of sins they never committed. These horrible, terrible things. It was a big practical joke to them. So they came in, they talked to the archbishop, the first two, he saw immediately right through it. And they just told their, they told their, their made up stories and they ran out laughing. The third one came in, made, told his made up story, these horrible sins he never committed. This time the archbishop stopped him and, and said, okay, he said, now that you've confessed these sins as an act of repentance, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go to the front of the church. And in this particular church was a big picture of Jesus on the cross. He said, I want you to look at that picture of Jesus on the cross. And I want you to look at his face. And I want you to say this out loud. You did all that for me. And I don't care that much. He said, I want you to say it three times teenager went to the front and he stared at the at the picture and with a sneer he said you did all that for me I don't care that much and then he said it again but then he couldn't get it out the third time because he burst into tears the archbishop who was telling the story said the reason I know that story is true he said it's because I was that third boy there's something about the cross of Jesus and the fact that he died there for us, that grips us. And it leaps over the theoretical discussions and the, the hows and the whys of how it happened, and it grips us. And when we realize that we're gripped by the cross, what we really realize is that we're gripped by the love of God, who loved us enough to send his son. Would you bow your head for a moment? We'll be out of here in just a couple of minutes ask that you please remain seated if you can. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed if you came this morning and you said, you know what, Alan, I don't know that I have a relationship with the Lord, but I would like to. Or I don't know that, you know, I, in the past I've had one and I've just gotten away from God, but I want to come back. We're going to say a prayer. And one of the most powerful things you can do today is say, I will make that decision to receive him as my Lord, or I'm going to make that decision to come back to him. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to have you come to the front, but we are going to say this prayer. Now, here's my question. If that's you that I'm talking to today, or you're online, you're watching, and you're saying, Alan, that's me, would you pray, would you pray for me? I want to be in on that prayer. I am going to ask you to do one thing. I want you to slip your hand up just across the auditorium. Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your courage. Anybody else say, Alan, would you pray for me? That's me. I want to be sure, or I want to come back. Would you pray for me? Thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You really wanted to. You thought, oh, I missed my chance. No, this is a heart prayer. Hands are good, but God sees hearts. We're going to pray this with you as a church family. Just pray it out loud. If you're watching online, you can pray this. Uh, if you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. We're going to pray it as a church family with you. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. 
and God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. The heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for those who have stepped out of spiritual darkness into light and for those who have come home. And Father, for the rest, those of us who know you and love you, those who've had you in our life, we thank you for the idea that you understand. We thank you for a Savior, a courageous Savior, who did what he did for us and who never leaves us and never forsakes us. Thank you for that confidence that we have as we face the coming days. We give you all the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope this message has blessed you. We have services every single Sunday at 9 and 1030 and Wednesday nights at 7. We'd love to see you here. Have a great week.